Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the other stuff. No. Reality? There's a question on my face right now. There is. Look of a question. Reality. Reality. We do try to get there. We do. We do. And we generally prefer to live in the shared reality with the other people with whom we share the reality instead of creating our own or living in some alternate version of it. We also prefer if they do that as well. But Well, there is that. Yeah. We generally only interact with people who can share a common reality, or at least we try to. We would like that. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. When you were first transitioning... Mm-hmm. You wanted to see a therapist, partly because that's just the way that you deal with stressful things. That is your coping strategy, and it works well for you. And transition was going to be stressful. Positive outcome, but stress along the way. Well, and I also knew that I needed that support of a transition team. Right. Most of the healthcare in our area is informed consent. Yes. But you still want that person on your side backing you up in case you have the odd person who says, are you sure? Am I sure? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm going through this, paying a lot of money and going to a lot of trouble on a whim. Right. It might be. Right. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) But also the thing you said about the experience at the time was, the thing you said about the experience at the time was that it was so good just to have somebody validate your reality. Yes. Saying, yes, these things that you're dealing with are hard. Yes, that sucks. That's true. And that's part of your support. She was able to see that this was already my life, you know? Yep. It wasn't, Explain, what do you it wasn't mean? something new. Right. This was not a new idea for me. No, it was not. No. Because she's familiar with the process, I mean, is one of the few people in Anywhere near around these parts. Yep. She understood the various concerns you can have as a trans person. I think especially if you wait a long time to get around to medical transition, you have some concerns about how your health is going to fare. Yes. Transitioning in middle age, transitioning 40 and after is very different experience from transitioning young. Yeah, so that's some of it. You know, the experiences I was having as I started transition, how how people react differently to you and having lived on the other side of the fence, knowing how crazy as fuck that is. And she was able to help you work through that and validate that, yes, that is a a realistic experience. Right. It's it's sort of like, well, I, I have baseball on the mind because it's baseball season, but it's sort of like talking baseball with someone who knows baseball, mm-hmm. or enjoys baseball. And um, if there were someone who liked hockey and you liked baseball, and it, it wouldn't be the same conversation. It would still be a go sports conversation, but it would be each side would have one direction. Mm-hmm. And her experience, someone who wasn't experienced with transition wouldn't be able to validate that reality. They would be going through the same thing with you of, is that so? How interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not validating. No. I mean, they might believe you. Yeah. You might trust that they believe you, but that's not validating. Right. So, very that you, you are correct. Mm-hmm. 
that that seems like exoticization more than validation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. But she was able to do that for you. Yes, and... Your therapist. Having your reality validated makes things feel less crazy. In in what ways, or like, give some examples or some details. Well, I'm I'm think I'm just thinking overall. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking everything between that example and today. Well, of validations of reality. We'll get into the the closer to today examples shortly. But like, in what ways specific to your transition did that make the process easier? Like, how did it? Was it just a, a relief of stress, or was it? Was there anything in particular that it helped? I, yeah, it's definitely a big relief of stress because when you're experiencing something and it's not what you expected or it's new or you have worries and concerns like beginning of transition, there's a lot of stress. You, you question, you question your reality a lot. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm feeling or experiencing. Is that what's happening around me? Mm-hmm. Is that what would be expected to happen? I can see how that would, yeah, produce stress or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So uh, stress reducing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that gives you a chance to have more clarity Mm -hmm. about your goals. Uh, You don't don't have to keep turning that same card over and saying, was it really that, you know, card on the other side? Was that healthcare professional really being a bigot? Was this person on the phone really being weird? Was this interaction that I had really a gender thing? You don't have to keep mulling those things over in your head if somebody else from the outside can give you a separate perspective and say, yep, that was it. Right. Then you can devote your cognitive and emotional energies to other things. Yes. And that is a big relief. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did I translate what you said appropriately? Yes. Thank you for helping with words. Anytime. (laughs) Um, It's good to have your reality validated. It is. Like to have that outside input. I can can see how that would be definitely a, a supportive thing. Because recently, by which I mean the other day, (laughs) <laughs> which in, you know, George and Jess land is anywhere between earlier this morning and nine years ago. Yeah. When we were dealing with the custody issues and legal issues around the abuse accusations, I was questioning my reality because I've been known to eat food and forget that I ate it and then wonder where it went. I've been known to put things places and not remember that I had put them there do things that I don't remember doing, say things that I don't remember saying, because I've got that parent auto-response brain. Yes, you do. I have witnessed you sometimes auto-answering. Uh-huh. Kids say, can I, can I, can I? No. Can I, can I? No. Can I have vegetables? No. Wait. <laughs> yes. Or or the number three child would often say, mom, 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 mom. And I'd say, babe, the child is talking to you. So that's part of the auto response. Yes, child. Yes, child. Yeah. And tuning things out that totally didn't make it into my brain because I had become mute to them. No, uh, deaf to them. That's the word. Deaf. Yes. Yeah. It. But then to be told that I had done terrible, horrible things, saying and doing 
terrible, horrible things and thinking, is this just another symptom of not remembering what I was doing? Because I don't remember any of this. And to have that sense of, is my experience not congruent with everyone else's reality? Like, am I not sharing objective reality with the rest of my family? Mm -hmm. Is my subjective reality, which everyone has their own subjective reality. Yes. That should overlap fairly heavily with objective reality. There should be a heavy overlap. There should be a heavy overlap. Not stretch it. Don't stretch. No, he's he's making a a Venn diagram with circles in his hands and do not stretch varying the the level of overlap. Yes, comes to reality. Yes, and so I'm thinking: Am I losing my grip on reality? Like I was genuinely questioning my sanity. Yeah. I was questioning my sanity, but yeah. And so once things settled down and I started getting, when I was staying with some of our family friends and they would say things about your ex that connected with what I believed the world was, mm-hmm. that started to make me realize that no, I'm, I'm not, maybe I'm not losing it. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's completely lying and this is just a bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I also was heavily invested in your personal reality, which at the time, you had never known her to lie. Correct. Although, come to find out from our extended family that they had watched her lie to you and you just hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Which is a thing that happens in relationships. I don't fault you for it. Overlooking things? Yes. I, I'm, I'm rather pleased that you overlook some things on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm not malicious or dishonest, but... <laughs> Thank you. Oh, no problem. The fact that other people were seeing maliciousness, Mm -hmm. other people were seeing dishonesty, Mm -hmm. that when I was incorporating your decade and a half of experience with rose-colored glasses Mm -hmm. was not coming up with what I felt objective reality was. Mm -hmm. And to have other people say, nope, this really is wrong, Mm -hmm. made me feel like, okay, maybe I'm not losing it. And then... And that's a good thing. It is. Yes. And you were going to therapy, and I was going to therapy. And, and you, your experience with therapy was also somewhat, you know, on it that was. level of validating reality. Yes, that was the one good thing I did get out of it, was that basically she said, no, you, you know, I've seen people with these character traits that you're being accused of, and you don't have them. Either she's lying or you are, but you don't, you know, therapists get good at rooting out liars. Yeah. Speaking to one, (laughs) you know, like I also, as, as a survival skill growing up became, you know, part of it was my autism and learning how to social by being just extremely observant, Mm -hmm. but then also being able to read people's motives and honesty became a survival skill in some traumatic situations. Mm-hmm. And so I also was very good at reading honesty, mm-hmm. unless I'm close to a person. I think that's true of most people. And so it it didn't surprise me that like you didn't have that filter with her that everybody else did. Mm-hmm. But then for me to have any sense of critical judgment of your reality also was not present. And so she did help me with that as well. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's 
you know, he he doesn't see this, but it might take him a while to be able to wrap his brain around it. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing where, you know, that validation of reality took away the stress of thinking that I was going to need to be institutionalized sometime soon. Yeah, we were all going to the funny farm, as my aunt calls it. Oh, gosh. Of course she does. Of course, calling things offensive names is her speciality, as she would say. This is what this is the world she grew up in. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. When someone doesn't vote, she calls them a commie. Well, the reference I heard her use to the funny farm is when she was kind of going over the edge because she had the wrong medication. Mm-hmm. And she was worried that if she went to the doctor, they'd send her to the funny farm. Yes. So. So, yeah. So, it's not, you know, putting down other people, like, calling them commies is. Yeah. Unless they are. Well. Then it's reality. But that's neither here nor there. Right. She just has <laughs> a resistance to learning more culturally responsive ways of communicating. Yeah, well, at least I got her to stop swearing like a sailor around the children. Oh, my gosh. So. Anyhow, we are so getting on a rabbit her trail. reality is not reality. Often. But that is age-related, dementia-related. Yeah, and, and if it's if it's that type of reality problem, well, I, I think other people, too, who make their own reality, refuse to look at, is this real, real or is this just my experience? Right. It, it's like with parenting, or as you said the other day, a liar. Mm-hmm. They don't have to tell you honestly if they're already being honest. Yes. Most of the time, if I deal with a parent who is not a very capable parent, they're the ones who are saying, I'm a good parent. And the rest of us are going, I'm probably not doing a great job here, but I'm working on it. The the axiom, a lion doesn't need to tell you it's a lion. Yes. Liars are the ones who say, I don't lie. Poor parents are the ones who say, but I'm his mother. Mm Mm-hmm. Demented idiots feel the need to say they're stable geniuses. Yes. These are, he does. <laughs> these are, you know, if someone genuinely has a positive trait, they generally don't need to express that they have the positive trait. There's probably some exceptions to that, but they're exceptions. And those and are. That's our reality. That is our reality. So. And there are some exceptions, but often, not always, but often, that is a reaction against having it pointed out that someone's personal reality lacks a certain overlap with objective reality. Yes. They don't want to acknowledge it, and so they. It's anchor bias, darn it. Mm-hmm. I, I keep thinking of. Actually, I think she's gone again, but I keep thinking of last time. My aunt went to the neurologist and she was trying to explain to me on the phone afterwards, there's nothing wrong with my, my, my short term, whatever it is. <laughs> my gosh. And I'm like, right. No, but there might be something wrong with your aphasia. <laughs> Could happen. Which, again, no judgment. I have aphasia days. I didn't realize they were part of my autism. Now I do. Mm-hmm. But I have whole days where I can't think of words. Mm-hmm. And being able to acknowledge that gets me closer to having overlap with reality. Mm -hmm. The the Venn diagram. The Venn diagram overlaps more. Mm -hmm. Today, number two child had an IEP. Yes, he did. And after his teachers were done telling us all of their horror stories, and probably not even all of them, some small percentage of horror stories. I can tell you right now that was only a small percent. (laughs) 
Yes. That's all they had time for. Fair enough. We were wondering. The most pertinent horror stories. Because usually by this point in the year, kids have been in classes for a couple weeks and we've usually had a phone call or two. Mm -hmm. We have not had any phone calls. We also don't have access to the behavior record keeping through the parent accounts in the grade books. They keep behavior records. Mm -hmm. You have to request special access and have it printed out for you if you want a copy. So by special access, you mean a hard copy? Yeah, basically. And he was also, he's coming home fairly unperturbed. I won't say happy. (laughs) Unperturbed and without complaints. If he was holding it together all day, he would be really stressed by the end of the day. He is not holding it together all day. He is having meltdowns. But then he comes home having already had his meltdown. That's likely true. I was thinking that they weren't pressuring them very hard. And so he was, you know, kind of skating along. Mm-hmm. Turns out that was not quite the case. No, it is not. But it was a new situation, a new school. They were trying to give him time to settle in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at this IEP meeting, they, of course, had to tell us at least the most pertinent Of the horror stories. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I said to that poor reading teacher Mm -hmm. was, allow me to validate your reality. And she seemed so relieved. Like She did. They all seemed relieved. Like everyone was just like, oh, good. These aren't those parents. Mm -hmm. Because the principal hesitatingly said, do you see any of these behaviors at home? And I'm looking at him like, all of them? (laughs) Yes. Exponentially? Yes. Yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. So he's consistent. He is. Yes. He is. And and the other thing that they felt very relieved by was the statement that if he needs a more supportive or more restrictive placement to really benefit his needs and his growth, then we aren't opposed to that. There are a lot of parents who are like, don't you put my kid in special ed? Don't you put my kid in the behavior program? Don't you put my kid in resource or... All of these things have benefited him so far, and I don't find it to be a judgment on my parenting. And I think that's the thing, like, because both of us have careers behind us in child welfare, Mm -hmm. you as a therapist and I as a teacher, both of us have seen the outcomes of parents who say, how dare you say my kid has a problem. Those are the ones with the biggest problems. But I'm his mother. I know better. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, when when I was trying to think of ways to be helpful in redirecting him, because I have noticed that if you confront him, it gets worse. Um, if you're very direct or stern, it gets worse. And I could see the looks on the, f- the face of the reading teacher to me were, oh. And I said to her, so if he's acting three, I talk to him like he's three. Mm-hmm. Because... Because developmental delay. Reality. The reality in that moment is... He's working with the three-year-old part of his brain. Yes. And she seemed like, oh, okay, I get this. And I this can... isn't you telling me to baby him. This is you telling me this is where he's at. And so you have to go there. It's and... it's not babying him if he's actually three. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, none of us were seeing that as, like, a judgment on him as a human being. No. Or on our parenting or on their teaching or their administrative management of the school or anything else. No. We're just telling them like it is. Because that's how he feels right then. That's what you're seeing. That's what's happening to you too. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's the best way to deal with it. It is. But you and I had the conversation long ago in the beginning. Yes. With toddlers. Mm-hmm. They say the thing and you say the thing. Otherwise, they're going to keep saying the thing. <laughs> it was one of the first things that you and I bonded over as parents was that they were both at that stage where they would just say a thing and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until they felt heard. And then you'd say, yes, and there is a llama outside. I see it. Your water is cold. Good job. Yes. You are holding your spoon. <laughs> no, it's not red. It's orange. Can you say orange? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll keep telling us it's red for four four hours until we acknowledge that they said it's red. Yes. They'll keep telling us that that's a it's, spoon. It's still maddening to me. It's a spoon. The idea of it's maddening Daddy, to me. Daddy, I got my spoon. Yes, you have your spoon. You're going to run your father out of all of his spoons. <laughs> yes, that's right. I don't know where the spoons have gone. <sighs> so my, my, I have the psychological reality that my sister has a physical one. Explain. The spoons are always missing at her house. Uh, Remember the basket of spoons she bought and sent a picture of? Oh, yes. Her house is always has disappearing spoons. Yes. Like actual physical spoons. I was thinking like spoon theory still. I was still thinking like depression makes it harder for you to cognate sometimes. Uh He's using up all your spoons. No, no. This is actual physical in the drawer with the silverware. Sometimes in some moments... I am perfectly aware that not only there are there not any spoons, but I'm not even sure what a spoon is anymore. <laughs> I've heard of these things. I think there was once a spoon. <laughs> he knows where I'm going. There is no spoon. <laughs> nope. So this happens like we do this to each other all the time. And you, you often say to me, thank you for validating my reality. When I'm saying... Oh, gosh. What was it the other day where it was the first day in almost two years that I was his full-time caregiver for a day? Yeah. And it was just nuts. I forgot just how challenging he is. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I was just like, I just need to decompress. And you kept saying, yep, that's a thing. Yep, that's a thing. Yep, that's a thing. And I was looking at you like, Usually I'm on the other side of this. Yes, and usually I'm the one saying, oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. Yep, I remember dealing with that. I didn't remember it well enough. Now you do. Damn it. I mean, oh, thank you. Right. And doctors are hard, too. Like, I mean, when you were transitioning, Mm -hmm. getting everyone to accept that your reality was objective reality, that... Their idea of gender or their idea of how healthcare should work or that the scheduler on the phone or the insurance person or whoever was just refusing to see your reality for actual reality. And doctors are are infamous for that. No, that's not really what you think or feel or experiencing. And I had never had that happen. Admittedly, the likelihood of that being because I so rarely go to the doctor may contribute. It it changed your odds? It did. Mm, Imagine that. But I had never had this problem. Hmm? Never tell me the odds. I'm asking what the odds are. I don't know. How often do you go to the doctor and get feedback? 
Well, it was once a year, but then when things got stressful and I started grad school, it became once every three years. Although lately it's been two to three times a week. Well, you're catching up because when I met you, it had been since child three had been born that you had been to a doctor. You decided you didn't need it and there was no time anyway. Probably mostly the second part. Yeah, basically. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this new job and the new insurance. When I had that insurance that, you know, I did get her and I going to the same doctor when her pediatrician retired. Mm -hmm. And I needed a new family doctor. So I got her and number one and myself all going to the same family doctor. And Mm -hmm. then you started going to the same family doctor because she was willing to learn about the trans thing. Yes, as long as I had my endo, which then she helped me procure. Which was good. Yes. She was she was really helpful and she really was. awesome about a lot of things. Eventually, she was not good about some things and you found a different doctor because you didn't want C. diff again. Well, it was that and the insurance said I couldn't have that doctor because she wasn't in the upcoming plan. And then she quit and went to the VA anyway, so I didn't get to have her anymore either. Yes. And then you got new insurance. Then I got new insurance. And so I went to a new doctor just to establish care. And the new doctor says, so tell me about your health history. And I told her about my health history. And she said, oh my gosh, and you're fat. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, not in so many words, but you know, marked clinical obesity. Okay, in my- wait. She wasn't just saying you're fat. She's saying, I have a problem with your weight. And so she sent me for the blood work, and the blood work all came back good. Mm -hmm. And she sent me to a weight loss specialist doctor Mm -hmm. who had absolutely... You were even less happy with her than you were the first doctor. The first doctor, when she got my blood work back, was willing to come back to reality somewhat and say, here, I have these objective measures that I, as a scientifically minded person, will align my personal reality to the objective measures. Mm-hmm. I, I will accept the data. Yes. She was very good about that. You were surprised. I was surprised because usually fat phobic doctors, from what I hear online, there's tons of them. I was, I've been blessed not to have one. Mm-hmm. But usually fat phobic doctors are like, no, there's still got to be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And yes, there still is something wrong with me. I have a uterus. I don't want it. Yes. But. <laughs> That's why I was trying to get you to go to the doctor. But and anyhow. family history of cancer and family history of heart disease and, you know, tons of things that run in my family, but I have not yet experienced symptoms of. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, it's been three years since you've been to a doctor. We should just make sure, you know, do all the blood work, do everything to check, get your mammogram, get your gynecological exam, get this, that, and the other, just to make sure that all of these risk factors are still only risk factors. Mm -hmm. So I've been going to the doctor a lot. All the doctors. All the motherfucking doctors. (laughs) And I hate gynecologists. I mean... When I was seeing There's the, a whole club of people. The family doctor who did gynecology, yeah. who did like, you know, was also delivered babies in her family practice. Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Going to a new gynecologist. So they didn't they didn't want to do that at your doctor's office? She doesn't do that. Oh, interesting. She refers it out. Because um, I'm trying to think. I could swear that they do in my doctor's office. They may. And, and I said, no, thank you. And we... <laughs> I believe because I, I have a really good you do person if I have to go there. Your doctor is great. You do have a separate gynecologist who is great. Mm-hmm. You referred her to some other guy the other day. I did. 
because she's so said, great. He said, I've been avoiding this because. And I said, oh, no, no, wait, I got the quite right, right doctor for you. Here she is. Yes, she will gender you correctly. She will. Her office will even deal with you correctly. Oh, that's all right. And you say, and, and he's... He's the type of guy who will just say, here's who I am. Here's my scoop. I need to see the doctor. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Well, that's good. And they, they will understand that. They, they prefer you just be direct with them. That is that is very good. This last crop of doctors, man, like I'm getting all of the M deities that I've never had before. The, the life, right? weight loss doctor. I had explained to my GP, so here's my problem. If I eat less than this amount of calories, my brain hates me. Mm -hmm. If I eat more than this amount of calories, my body hates me. Mm -hmm. I generally Try to stay in the middle. I try and stay in the middle. Your weight pretty much stays the same. My weight pretty much stays the same, but over the past three years, it has gone up some because stress. She asks me, why do you think your weight went up? I said, probably stress. I eat when I'm stressed and I, I still have to keep my calories in line, but I'll eat, I'll be, I'll be craving sweets. And so, you know, my macros are way off mm-hmm. and cortisol is a hell of a hormone. Yes. And she says, well, this 16 to 1800 calories is not that low. You could go lower. And I say, then my brain hates me if mm-hmm. I go below 1500 for more than a couple days. And she says, no, no, no. Let me send you to the weight loss doctor. They should be able to help you with that. Weight loss doctor had no interest in helping me with that. No, she didn't. She had her own agenda. I said, if I eat fewer than this many calories for more than a day or two in a row, I can't think and I need to be able to think. I work mm-hmm. in an office. I write reports. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to do that. What are the other options? Could I do intermittent? Thinking is required in most jobs, by the way. Well. Most. What are the options for intermittent fasting? Are there any supplements or vitamins that would help overcome this problem? Mm-hmm. And her answer was, you need to eat fewer calories. And you said, thanks for nothing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, like, after seeing two doctors in this hospital system that Mm -hmm. my work contracts with for its insurance, Mm -hmm. I was not expecting much from the gynecologist. No, and you were dreading it even more than just the fact that it was the gynecologist. I was, because I'm like, oh my gosh, is this whole system fucked up? I've never had to interact with the hospital health system before. But, But I have, and I've had good experiences with them. And I'm thinking, is this just how they all are? Do none of them have the patient manner to have their own practices and do it well, so they all just went to the hospital? Are they all just jerks? I'm so frustrated with it by this point. And then every time I go to a new doctor, they always ask, what are you doing for birth control? Oh, yeah. Which at this point has become a running joke among my friends, especially since I've been to so many doctors lately. Mm-hmm. You know, the cancer specialist, the geneticist, the, they all ask. I'm like, why the hell does the geneticist need to know what I'm doing for birth control? Well, I, I remember I asked my Jesus friend once. I said, one of the things that's nice is they don't ask me all those questions anymore. And, and I said to him, did they ever ask you that about, you know, sex or birth control or anything? He goes, no. And he was he was shocked at the idea that, like, you know, every it's single, all your job and not, not theirs. Every single woman is asked by every single doctor what they're doing about birth control. Mm-hmm. And it is an acceptable answer if you are a functioning adult to say, nothing, we're trying for more, or we're okay with more, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It 
is acceptable to decline, mm-hmm. but you need to have some answer. That is the way that doctors who see female perceived bodies work, mm-hmm. even the ones who have nothing to do with reproductive health. And so it's become a running joke. What am I going to tell them this time? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the answers are just getting progressively more ridiculous. Well, we watch the phases of the moon and drink the sacred lemon juice. <laughs> <laughs> You know, for what? These are suggestions. Yes, these are suggestions people have given me. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you do about birth control? Axolotls. You said our our, uh, number three child was also amused that you had to answer this question. Yes, I mentioned it. And I I don't think I used the words birth control, but I said, um, you know, every doctor asks, what are you doing to keep from getting pregnant? Mm -hmm. And she looks at me and she looked out the door where you had just gone out to the backyard and she looks back at me and she face palms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Right. But like she knows. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's become this running joke. But this doctor, you know, she she in the morning before the appointment mm-hmm. in their online healthcare system, record keeping, whatever for the hospital, mm-hmm. they have questionnaires that you fill out. And I'm beginning oh, to yeah, wonder why yeah. on earth I even do this, because they're still going to have a big old packet of papers anyway when I arrive. And then they won't read any of them. She I did. learned this when I took my mother to her appointments. They yeah. Nothing and asked you all the questions again. Yeah. I finally did decided they're just asking you the questions on the paper so that when they ask them again, you already have the answer. That That is entirely possible. You're ready. You don't have to think about it. That seems about as reasonable as any other thing that's happening. If it's happening. going to be reasonable, that might be it. <laughs> that might be. So in this online, not quite a questionnaire, it had a space for preferred name, assigned sex at birth, legal gender. Mm-hmm. I was impressed with that. Preferred pronouns. Yes. I don't think it even said preferred. If it mm-hmm. said preferred, I would have side-eyed it. Mm-hmm. I don't prefer them. They're just my pronouns. I took a picture of this computer screen and sent it to you. And I was like, the gynecologist does what? I said, good, good for the doctor's office. That's so great. Yeah. So I'm starting to see a glimmer of hope, but I'm not sure if it's just because this is the way that the big hospital system does things or if it's actually like she's going to be decent. Okay. Here's the thing, though. If the big hospital system is doing things that way, that is great. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? And it had the option in legal gender for the uh, MFX and it said other. Really? Yeah. It had a fourth option Good for on them. other. So like if you... You had documentation from another state or another country that didn't use X as its non-binary None option. Of the above. Well, <laughs> a little of this and a little of that, <laughs> and a whole lot of something else that's not even there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she comes in and she calls me by the name that was listed, not my legal name, and you know asks me these questions. And she's skimming the forms while she's actually asking me the questions. Like I'm she's impressed with that. Looking at the paper. What? And so she like flips it over and looks at me and says, so birth control? And I said, my husband's trans. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, okay. So that's not happening. Never mind. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't have to explain anything. Wow. That's like, impressive. Yeah. Because often the look on their face is still, let me process that. Yes. Does it add up to what I think it does? Because see, this isn't their reality yet. Right. And so much of the cultural reality focuses on trans women. So they'll be thinking, wait, does she still have the stuff to impregnate you with? And I'll be thinking, no, he never did. 
Right. But I didn't have to explain any of that. Mm -hmm. And then when she did an exam, there was no gendering of my genitalia. Wow. It was just like, here comes some pressure. Here comes the speculum. Here comes the swab. Here's a little more pressure. Okay, now I need to press on your abdomen while I press on the insides. Hey, look, your your uterus feels like you're about 10 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, I'm about to have my period. And she says, that's a lot of period. And I'm like, yes, that's why I'm here. Yes. It has been. <laughs> we talked about the murder scene. Yes. <laughs> so, like, having a doctor actually validate my reality, like, the first one out of all this long slew of doctors that I've seen. Right. The the murder scene just, just is in a way past podcast. There have been a few times here and at our old house where I was managing my mess, and then on my way to the sink to wash my hands, I would leave bloody handprints here or there. Or any number of other things. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Drips, splatters, things that I didn't notice in the dark because things it was that dark. Make you stand there and go, okay, where's the dead body? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, she listened and she didn't seem skeptical about anything I was saying, and that was like first time at all in this whole slew of doctor visits the whole past three or four months now mm -hmm. that someone actually believed the fat queer with funny colored hair. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, God bless you. <laughs> I was very nearly in tears in that office because it was so validating. That's great. I think your doctor would take the feedback of whatever feedback you wanted to give her. Mm -hmm. I don't think the nutritionist. No, it was. Whatever. I, I want to say bariatric specialist, but I could be wrong. Uh -huh. I don't know. There was a nutritionist and there was also a weight loss specialist. Oh, you really got the special treatment. Oh, yes. The nutritionist was at least halfway decent. But I think our reality is thoroughly validated, unless there's anything else you need to discuss. <laughs> well, I'm glad that, that you're, you finally got a doctor that was validating. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So is that it for now? Probably. That's it. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! What are you looking for? My phone. I don't want it to start... It's over there. Making you want me to get it for you? Yeah. I don't want it to tell me it's time for the dishwasher or something and I don't have a chance to... Make it stop or whatever. Right. There's a pill over here in a cup. Was that supposed to be for tonight? No, that's tomorrow. Oh, okay. <sighs> so he's got to go back to school tomorrow? He does. Good. Please. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. yes. So sit up and get close and let me know when you're ready. I can't, um, can you move this back a little? Usually it's close to me, but the problem is there's no cushion, so I have to sit differently. Mm-hmm. As loud as you, but you know, sometimes it can happen. 
Right now you're being very quiet. It's late. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Are we ready? Probably. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is... Did you close the back door? I don't think so. I've got to run down and close it or close the screen because I don't want him going out. I, I am afraid of coyotes right now. Okay. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Yeah, whatever. George is going down to lock the door so that Bob does not get out. Ha, ha, ha.